The title of this morning's message is Epi Knowledge. <laughs> Today we're going to look at a passage of scripture found in 2 Peter chapter 1. And through this passage of scripture, I hope you are more convinced of the reality of the riches of God's grace towards us and in us. In order to overcome this world and our flesh, we need our faith in God's grace to be consistent and stable. We need to have a grace mentality, a grace foundation, a stable foundation of God's grace enables us to look at ourselves and the world differently than others do. That's because a grace mentality is also a finished work mentality. <laughs> because of God's grace, which is God's absolutely free loving kindness or his unmerited favor, he gave us Jesus who paid our sin debt in its entirety, and he purchased our salvation, which legally sets us free from all the power of the enemy and provides us with full access to everything that's in God's kingdom, including God himself in his fullness, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, by God's grace, his absolutely free loving kindness, he finished all of the work needed for our salvation. We have never done anything deserving of salvation. In fact, we never could do something deserving of this magnificent gift. All that God has done has come because of his grace, his absolutely free loving kindness. So, a grace-based finished work mindset recognizes that we are not trying to get God to move on our behalf. <laughs> a grace-based finished work mindset recognizes that through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, God our Father has already moved. He's done all the moving he's going to do. <laughs> he's already moved on our behalf and has already provided complete access by grace into everything that we have need of. Our part of this arrangement is to agree to receive it by faith alone, and then choose to walk in agreement with what he says is a finished work. There's no begging allowed. There's no whining allowed. There's no complaining allowed. Nor can we make a deal <laughs> to get the dishes done. We can't, we can't earn his love. <laughs> we can't earn his blessings. We can't earn his help. It's all about faith in his amazing grace. Now, as you've probably noticed in your own life, even though grace is free, it's not automatic. We don't have trees, you know, with $50 bills on them in the backyard where money just springs forth because of God's grace. <laughs> but everything is available because of his grace. In other words, we have to choose to access by faith what God says he has already provided by his grace. Now, our faith is always based on what we know to be true about God, his grace, and his finished work. What we know is extremely important, and that means what we don't know can be extremely important too. So the more we renew our minds to these truths, the more we can easily access what God's grace has already provided. We're going to begin in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 this morning in verse 2. I'm going to be expounding on several words, giving you definitions, <laughs> in hopes that we'll see more clearly the depth of God's grace and the completeness of this finished work. 
Second Peter chapter one, verse two says this, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Peter here says that God's grace and peace can be multiplied or increased through the knowledge of God. This word knowledge isn't just any kind of knowledge. This is epi-knowledge. The Greek word for this word knowledge is epignosis. That's probably not the correct pronunciation, but that's what it looks like. Epignosis. <laughs> Gnosis is the word for knowledge, and epi is the word for over and above. So it's, this is not ordinary knowledge. This is over and above ordinary knowledge. I looked up this word in the Strong's Concordance, and it says that it means recognition, full discernment, and acknowledgement. This kind of knowledge includes the concept of recognition. The picture it paints is that we can know something, recognizing what it is and its validity. We know something is true. We know somebody is who they say they are. We recognize the truth of that person. That's what this word includes that we recognize what is true and accurate in that person. The full discernment has the same weight. It talks about to know accurately and to perceive correctly, according to what God says is true. In order to be able to access everything that God has done for us, everything that pertains to life and godliness, we need an accurate understanding of who God is and what he's done for us and how he sees us. Many believers still struggle with thinking that God's mad at them or disappointed in them, or that he's even ignoring them. <laughs> I had a phone call from my brother recently. He had a, a spiritual dream, and he was freaked out. <laughs> and he said, why is God talking now? <laughs> Usually he only resorts to that when we're not listening. <laughs> but he really thought God wasn't interested in everything in his life. He thought, I accepted Jesus, I just go about my business, you know, if he needs anything, he'll let me know. That's not what God had in mind when he saved us. The truth is, God is not any of those things. He's not mad, he's not disappointed, and he will never ignore you. He loves us unconditionally and accepts us entirely. He wants us to have full and accurate discernment regarding his love for us and regarding the power that's available within us because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. God and Jesus want us to know them as they really are and to understand the fullness of what they've done and accomplished on our behalf. So included in this epi-knowledge is also the concept of acknowledgement. I looked up acknowledgement in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, and it said this, the owning of a benefit received accompanied with gratitude, and hence, it combines the ideas of an expression of thanks. Hence, it is also used for something given or done in return for a favor. In other words, if somebody does something nice for me, I say thank you. There's a response. And that's what this kind of knowledge entails. When we have knowledge of God, it invokes a response from us. This reminded me when I first began to get the revelation, the fuller revelation of God's grace for me, that God likes me just the way I am. He's not requiring anything of me. He doesn't have a list of do's and don'ts in order for me to be acceptable. He says, I take you just as you are. Not just the day I receive him, but every day I can come just as I am. <laughs> every day. And he 
likes me. He doesn't just love me and put up with me. He likes me and he likes you. This was really revelation knowledge to me because I was pretty sure I fell short of God's perfection way too much for him to be happy with who I was. So, you know, if I tried hard on good days, God would be happy. Otherwise, I thought he had his arms crossed, tapping his toe, shaking his head. There you are again, doing it all wrong. That was my concept of God. That was my concept of my father. I didn't really believe he loved me for who I was, for who he created me to be, but he did. When I found out that it's really true, <laughs> it's really true. It's not just an idea, it's really true. All I could do was cry. My father loves me just the way I am. I don't have to change to make him happy. I don't have to change to get a blessing. I don't have to do anything but let him love me and believe that he's that good. That's what this word acknowledgement means. When we see Jesus, when we see the truth of who our Father is and what he's done, your heart cannot stay silent. You have to say, thank you. If we don't have a thank you in our heart, we're probably not seeing Jesus. We're probably seeing what this world has to offer. We're probably hearing what the enemy has to say. But if we see Jesus, our heart will declare, thank you that you're good. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you care. Thank you that you hear. Thank you that I'm righteous. Thank you that I have everything I need for life and godliness. Thank you. Because faith always receives and says thank you. So this kind of knowledge includes a thank you. <laughs> it includes a response. True and accurate knowledge of God actually contains what he's already accomplished for us. When we know something is true, when we accurately see what he's done, when we see it by the eyes of faith, when it becomes real to us, we immediately take when we see it, when we really know it, when we're completely convinced, whatever it is we're convinced about shows up in our life. It's called faith. When faith sees grace, it says, thank you. It takes hold. It brings whatever is in the spirit over into the natural. And it's because this kind of knowledge only comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ by revealing themselves and the truth of who they really are and what he's really done. So we need to take ownership. When we take ownership of the benefits in our salvation package, that's part of this. When I saw grace in its entirety, when I saw it in its fullness, I took it. <laughs> this is awesome and yummy and wonderful. I'm taking it. When I hear grace, when I see grace, it is so yummy to me. I take it by faith. I receive it. That's taking ownership of what already belongs to us in Christ. So whatever knowledge about God, if I need finances, I need to know how God thinks about finances. I need to know that he's not requiring me to give in order to be blessed. He says, I have blessed you. Now if your heart agrees with how good I am, give.
If I need knowledge about relationships, I look to my father and see he loves me just the way I am, and I see the truth of that, then he can say, love them just the way they are. What I receive in that knowledge, I am then able to dispense to others. Whatever knowledge we need, we can go and find it in the Word and in our relationship with our Father and Jesus. And when we find it, thank you will erupt in our heart. <laughs> and that's what happens to us when we really recognize, fully discern, and acknowledge, take ownership of the truth of His loving kindness towards us and His finished work on our behalf. So this is not just ordinary knowledge, this is epi-knowledge. <laughs> it is over and above any kind of ordinary knowledge, and it only comes from God revealing Himself and His truth to us. It's us seeing Jesus. It's us hearing Him speak to us. We are His sheep. We do hear. He's not ignoring us. <laughs> when we know we've seen Him as He is, the result is our hearts can't help but be grateful. We can't help but be overwhelmed by our Father's great love and provision for us. When we see Him as He really is, the fullness of what He's done for us, it changes us. How do we grow as Christians? We grow by seeing the truth of who God is and who we are in Him and all that He's done for us. This is epignosis. This is epi-knowledge. And it's apprehended only within relationship. There is no prayer line for epi-knowledge. <laughs> Sometimes we want a prayer line for everything. We want God, you know, just wham, 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 wham. <laughs> That's not how you get epi-knowledge. Now, if somebody whams you and you end up on the floor, while you're down there, you might get some epi-knowledge. <laughs> but it doesn't come by somebody else praying for you. It comes from our relationship, the intimacy of our relationship with Him. It is in our relationship with God and His Word that He reveals Himself to us more and more fully. And that our epinosis, our epi-knowledge, our supernatural knowledge, our revelation knowledge, whatever you want to call it, is of Him and it begins to grow. The more we grow in our knowledge of Him, He says, grace and peace will be multiplied to you. So we want to grow. We want to see Him more and more so His grace and peace can be multiplied in our lives and then what comes out of our life will bless others. It will overflow. In verse 3, Peter tells us why we can have such confidence that God's grace and peace will be multiplied to us. It says this, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Our confidence comes from the hath given, the past tense, the it's already done. It's the finished work. It's the finished provision. It's ready and waiting for us to apprehend it by faith, everything that we need for life and for godliness. So it is the fact that it's a finished work why we can have confidence. We're not waiting on God to do something for us. He's waiting for us to believe what he's already done. The word life in this verse is the word zoe. It's God's kind of life, God's quality of life. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea, God's kind and quality of life. But it's an inclusive word. It also encompasses every area of our life, the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, financial, and relational. Our Father wants us to have and enjoy his kind of life in every part of our life. 
So Christians, often we get really excited about the life stuff, everything that pertains to life, all the stuff we need. God, I need finances, and God, I need relationships, and God, I need this, and God, I, we're really happy about God giving us stuff. You know, that's usually what we hear about faith is for. Faith is for stuff. But that doesn't end with the word life. It ends with the word godliness. And the truth is, we should be just as excited, if not more excited, about this last word than we are about the word life. The word godliness is just a fancy way of saying God-likeness. And our God-likeness is simply us living out of our righteousness in our everyday lives. It's simply drawing out by faith what God has already put inside of us in our spirit. Now, most people think of godliness in a religious way. I looked up this word in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Godliness, you're going to love this. A religious life, a careful observance of the laws of God and performance of religious duties. Proceeding, of course, from love and reverence for divine character and commands. Christian obedience. I think this definition is why most believers get more excited about physical stuff (laughs) than they do about godly stuff. (laughs) This definition makes godliness sound like housework, boring, but necessary. You don't want to do it, but it's required. (laughs) That's not God's idea of godliness. Religion says that godliness is basically what we do to honor God. But God says that he's already provided us with everything we need in order for our God-likeness to show up on the outside of us. We live from our God-likeness. We don't do things in order to become godly. Following rules and regulations doesn't make us more like God. However, relationship with God on the inside of us does make us more like God on the outside of us. So the main concept is that through our relationship knowledge of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, that what we already have in our spirit and what we've already been given through Jesus Christ can come forth in our life. We're already godly. We already are like God in our spirit. We are, in fact, new creations. Ephesians 4, 24b. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, when you see this, you might think, that sounds like work. (laughs) At first glance, it sounds like this is an outside-in application, but it's really not. The Greek word for the word put on actually means to sink down into. Picture sinking down into a hot bath or warm swimming pool, just relaxing and letting the water overwhelm you. That's the picture this word is supposed to paint. It is seeing ourselves resting in his finished work and actually believing that what he says is true about us is in fact true. And then by faith, acting and walking in agreement with what we know is true. Now, we're going to have to tell our feelings to shut up. Because when we do this, we say, Jesus, I'm going to rest in you. I'm going to rest in the fact that you have made me like you and that who you are can come out in my life. We're going to go and check things like uh, our patience. I'm impatient. I'm not like God. No. Patience is in us. We need to just pull out what we already have. Christians pray for patience all of the time. 
It's a prayer God cannot answer. He's already given you patience by the Holy Spirit. We have to decide what we do with what he's given us. I can't tell you how many times Christians said to me, don't pray for patience. God will give you trials. And it's like, no, he doesn't. (laughs) He loves me. He wants me to operate in what I already have. He doesn't go around making things harder just to prove a point. It's not who he is. So our feelings will tell us we don't have what he says we have. But the truth is, we still have it. So our godliness is not about us trying to muster up some good works by following the rules and regulations, or even good advice, like don't pray for patience. (laughs) It's about choosing to take time to sink down into Jesus and believing and receiving the truth that we already are like him and that we already have what he says we have. And the more we see and believe that truth, the more we take it and own it, the more we acknowledge it, the more it will come forth in our life. Christian obedience is not about keeping rules, and it's not about trying to please an angry father. It's about walking by faith in God's grace and his finished work on the cross. It's truly believing that he has already given me everything I need for life and godliness, and then choosing to walk by faith in agreement with God's grace and finished work. Change on the outside does not start on the outside. It starts on the inside. And the first thing we need to know is that we have already been given everything we need to walk godly in this life. And it's through the supernatural knowledge, our epi knowledge, our relationship knowledge of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's through this knowledge that we can actually experience what he says he's put in us. Verse 3 He reminds us again. He says in the beginning, grace and peace can be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says it here again. Guess what kind of knowledge? Not book knowledge, not information in in general, but revelation knowledge, the epi-knowledge that comes from relationship with God. So epignosis is recognition of who and what God really is, understanding what he's really completely done for us. It is the full discernment of accurate information and the acknowledgement, the taking, the owning, and the receiving of that information and making it our own. It's taking and owning the truth and being thankful. It's having a grace-based, finished work mentality. I already have everything I need for life and godliness as a free gift. I just need to access it by faith. Continuing in verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to his glory and virtue. Many of the modern translations leave out the word his, even though it's in some of the earliest manuscripts, and it really does make all of the difference. Without that word, it sounds like Peter is calling us to come up to some standard of glory and virtue. (sighs) He's calling you to glory and virtue. Come on. Get busy, work hard, (laughs) you're falling too short, come on, try harder. That's not at all what this verse means. I believe what Peter was saying was that Jesus calls us to fully discern, recognize, acknowledge, and accept as our own Jesus' glory and virtue because he's placed himself on the inside of us. So Jesus is calling us to receive through our relationship and union with him the revelation of his very own glory and virtue. Now, you might wonder, what exactly is glory and virtue? (laughs) Well, when we think of the word glory, we usually think of English definitions. 
like visible splendor, brightness, luster, magnificence. And in scripture, this word glory is used in various ways like that. The word glory is also used to refer to God's manifested presence. We think of the glory cloud in the Old Testament. God manifested himself, revealed himself through a cloud. So whenever we see God reveal himself, his character, his love, his power, all of that is included in the idea of glory. His glory is whatever part of himself he makes visible or real to us. Now, Moses had said to God, God, I want to see your glory. And God said, it would kill you. <laughs> but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in this rock over here, and I'll let you see my goodness. He said, if you saw me in my fullness, you would die. But I want to show you my glory. I want to show you I'm good, and that you can depend on my being good. But my favorite definition of glory is the Thayer's Greek Dictionary. The word glory literally means view and opinion especially in reference to that which causes a good view and opinion. So God calls us to receive his view and opinion of us, our situations, and others. What is Jesus' view and opinion of us? Righteous? Holy? Godly? Yes, godly? <laughs> Healthy? Prosperous? Happy? Completely complete? And lacking no good thing? This is Jesus' opinion his view and opinion of us. And his view and opinion of us is always a good opinion. Even if what we do is not so good, <laughs> he always sees us as good. And the truth is, we always end up living out of what we truly believe. If we don't believe that God is good and he accepts us as we are, then we're not going to come to him. We're not going to take time to sink down into him, to see him, to hear him, to have him reveal himself to us. That's why it's so important that we have accurate information of what he's like, so that our faith will work. So Jesus has a grace-based, absolutely free because of his love, finished work, it's already done, and it's waiting for you to take, mentality. Everything we need for life and godliness has been freely and graciously dispensed already into us and into our spiritual account. And in order to apprehend it, we need to receive Acknowledge as true and take as our own. You have to acknowledge as true and take as your own his view and opinion. And then by faith, just sink back and let Jesus do what Jesus does. <laughs> so Jesus not only calls us to his glory, his good view and opinion, but he also calls us to his virtue. What exactly is virtue? Well, translators like to translate the word as moral excellence. And when you read that God's calling you to moral excellence, that sounds like self-effort again. <laughs> but the primary definition of the word virtue is not moral excellence. Translators translate through their own understanding. If they think godliness is me doing something to become godly, then that's how they're going to interpret the scripture. But when you understand that they can't change the word that's there, the word there is virtue. And the word means strength. They can translate it any other way they like, but they can't change what was written. <laughs> and the word that was written is virtue. And virtue is strength and efficacious power. When the lady with the issue of blood wanted to be healed, she snuck through the crowd and touched the hem of his garment. And Jesus said, who touched me? And everyone says, are you crazy? <laughs> Everybody's touching you. He goes, no, no virtue left me. 
Interestingly enough, this is not the same word. But yet they knew that there is strength and efficacious power. That's what happened that day, is his strength and efficacious power was acknowledged as true and taken as her own. And it changed her life forever. That's what virtue means. The Webster's 1828 Dictionary says this, strength, that substance or quality of physical bodies by which they act and produce effect on other bodies. The example they gave to help people understand what it means by virtue, this, this strength, is talking about when we ingest a medicinal plant. When we eat a medicinal plant, its natural strength, its natural virtue is absorbed into the physical body where it becomes powerfully effective, producing something excellent. That's where they come up with the excellence. It is about excellence, but not about our effort. <laughs> it's about His excellence in us. His excellencies are everything good, everything righteous. That's what it is. When we take and own, when we acknowledge what is true, what is ours, what is true is His virtue and His power. It's in us. He's calling us to His virtue and power. And it's not at the right hand of the Father. It's right in here. Because He's right in here. So I have Jesus' strength and efficacious power available to me simply by believing that it's there. By knowing that I know that it's true. And I can take it when I need to. You can take some medicine. It's right inside of you. <laughs> His name is Jesus. <laughs> this is really simple. But it's really a powerful word picture. Jesus calls us to sink down into his strength and his efficacious power by faith and then absorb it into our soul, taking it and owning it as our own, acknowledging as true and real his strength in me. That's what faith is. You see, instead of, God, make me strong. I'm so weak, God. I'm not doing good here. I'm so weak. And you, no, you're not. <laughs> That's what your flesh is. That's not what you are. You've been made in the image of God. He lives inside of you. All of his virtue and glory is inside. I can say I am strong because I am. I don't have to feel strong. I just have to know I'm strong. <laughs> and then as I walk in faith in the fact that I know that his strength in me is real. When I acknowledge it, say, thank you that you've made me strong. I know my flesh says I'm weak, but my flesh lies. Jesus never lies. Jesus says, I am strong. I can do all things through Christ. Quit listening to the flesh. So like Jesus, we need a grace-based, finished work mentality. Because of the absolutely free loving kindness, grace-based, and the already finished work of salvation through Christ, by faith, I can receive as real, as true, that I have everything I need to walk godly in this life. The weak can say, I am strong. The poor can say, I am rich. My bank account may tell me something different, but Jesus says, no, don't look there, look here. Look unto me, look unto the Christ within you. I say you are rich. Now you have to believe it, acknowledge it, say thank you. Take it and put it to work. Start walking by faith in what he says is true. God has also given us exceeding great and precious promises. Verse 4 of the same chapter. And it says this. Whereby we are given, past tense, unto us exceeding great and precious promises, 
that by these we might be partakers. I love this word, takers. We need to be good takers, not beggars. <laughs> partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. In other words, we have promises in God's word that tell us that as Jesus is, so are we in this world. And by faith, we can draw out into our daily lives all that Jesus has already put on inside of us through the new nature of his spirit. We can do this because we have already escaped the corruption that is in the world. What is the corruption that is in the world? What is it that ruins absolutely everything it touches? Sin. All of our sins were taken into death and completely defeated, never to be counted against us, ever. So because we have this new nature, because sin no longer lives inside of us, we can, by these promises, access everything we need for life and godliness. In verse 5, it continues. Peter tells us that because we have Jesus' glory and virtue, his strength, we should be diligent to apprehend and take by faith all that's already on the inside of us. This is King James. A lot of times the way translators think, because you can't translate differently than you already have a mindset. So if their mindset is legalism, they're going to read into and try to explain the scripture from that point of view. And so the words they sometimes choose reflect that. And so it begins with, and besides this, now for this very reason. What very reason? The fact that we have escaped the corruption that's in the world. We've escaped the power of sin. He says, because that is the truth, give all diligence. There it goes again. Work hard. Come on. That's not what it means. It says, be eager and quick. Be eager and quick to do what? <gasps> Acknowledge. Take as our own. Bring into reality. It doesn't say work hard. It's just you have this in you. Get excited. Be eager about what's in you. Believe that it's in there and start walking in it. That's what this is supposed to be talking about. Then he says, add. Add to your faith virtue. Now, I used to read this and go, where am I going to find some virtue, Jesus? <laughs> and then add to my virtue knowledge. And where am I going to get that? What do you mean? That's not what he's talking about at all. The word add really means fully supply. Fully supply your faith with what? the knowledge of God, the accurate representation of who he is and what he's done. In other words, have a grace-based, finished work mentality so that when anything comes up and you need to show off your God-likeness, <laughs> you know it's already in there. You don't have to go and pray for four days. You don't have to go and read seven chapters. You don't have to give to the poor. Those are not what make Jesus come forth in our life. Relationship is what brings Jesus forth in our life. So he says, fully supply by your faith. In other words, get your grabber tool. Remember our grabber tool, those, those things to help you reach things you can't reach? Get your grabber tool, your faith, and start grabbing everything that's already in you by faith and start walking out what's already in there. How do you do that? By doing. Faith acts. In other words, I may not feel patient, <laughs> but Father God, I know you've made me patient. And I'm going to have your view and opinion of me right now. You say I am patient and I have patience. So I'm going to choose to act on my faith and operate in patience. I'm not going to let my emotions tell me I'm not patient. 
I decide if I'm going to walk in what's inside of me or if I'm going to walk according to the flesh. Impatience is of the flesh. So we take hold of Jesus' strength and his efficacious power with our grabber tool, and we bring it, whatever's in us, out where other people can see it. Other people need to see our God-likeness. See, we say there's somebody real living on the inside of us, and the truth is they're not necessarily going to read the Word of God and find him. They're going to look for him in you. What I love about Christians is if you hang around them, they have the tendency to just be who they are, and their God-likeness just shows up. They start saying things that God's talking to me through this person and through that conversation. And, and even on TV, you're flipping through the channels and God talks to you right through people on the TV. Uh, it's amazing. <laughs> What's happening? Your God-likeness is showing up on the outside where other people can see it. Now, it's easy for Christians to see it. It's not necessarily easy for unbelievers to see it. So that's why he says all of these attributes that we're going to see, he says, you have these. You already have these. You can operate in these. And when you do, other people get to see the reality of the Jesus that lives in you and me. Verse 6. Here we go, adding some more. <laughs> and to knowledge, take by faith, temperance. It just means being moderate. Uh, some describe it as self-control. But it actually just means to have moderation. It doesn't mean... I'm in complete control of myself all the time. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means I know how to say yes and I know how to say no. It's all that that means. <laughs> and to temperance, add patience. In other words, fully supply yourself with patience. Why? Because it's already in you. Get your grabber tool out and start thanking Jesus for patience. And to our patience, we add our godlikeness. You see, sometimes we don't feel godly. <laughs> Every once in a while, we don't act godly. <laughs> we start whining. It's not allowed. <laughs> no, I am like God, and I choose to have my Father's view and opinion of who I am. So, and to our godliness, brotherly kindness, by faith, it's in there. And to brotherly kindness, charity, agape love. Now, verse 8, it says, If these things be in you, not what's in there in the Greek. It's not in there. There's no if. <laughs> if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the epi-knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It actually says, because these things are in you and abound, that's what it actually says. Because these things are in you, and they do abound. That's a grace-based, finished work mentality. That's saying, I know what lives on the inside of me. I'm not wondering if it's real. It's not if I have it. It's because I have it. <laughs> Verse 9. Also, not in the Greek, but it says this. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. In other words, he doesn't understand his new creation, and he's not been receiving his epi-knowledge in relationship with his Father. I like how the Jubilee version puts it. It says, but if he lacks, which actually means does not have at hand, he has it, it's just not out here where you can see it. <laughs> he says, if he does not have it at hand, he's not showing forth, he's not operating according to Jesus' view and opinion, 
or Jesus's glory and virtue, he does not show forth these things because he is blind and walks feeling the way with the hand, having forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. In other words, this person has Jesus on the inside, but he's not living in the kind of relationship Jesus wants to have with him. Yeah, I was forgiven a long time ago, but there's, there's no communion, there's no fellowship, there's no seeing Jesus and sinking down into him. That person has forgotten what it is he had, what he received. What he does instead is he walks feeling the way with his hand. He walks by his feelings and not by his faith. Because faith says, I know in whom I have believed, and I know that he is able to do anything and everything through me that he desires. I know who lives in here. I know what is inside of me. The person here isn't walking in agreement with a grace-based finished work mentality, and he's not apprehending by faith what is already on the inside of him. Instead, he operates on feelings. And when we operate on feelings and emotions, guess what we get? Death, destruction, corruption. It's wonderful, isn't it? No. <laughs> and it's not what God wants for us. That's why he came to live inside of us, to give us his kind and quality of life, that we have it and we can walk in it. The picture God gave me of this, this was probably more of a message for me than it was for you, but that's okay. <laughs> I like to share. <laughs> Because I had never really stopped to think of myself in this way. I, yeah, I know stuff is in my account. You know, all the life stuff. Yeah, I know it's there. I know by faith I can go get it. But I never really stopped to think that all my godliness is in here. All my God-likeness. I mean, I knew I was created in the image of God, but he says he has qualities that he's given us. If we look in Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Hmm, doesn't it sound a lot like those other things? <laughs> yes, because they're fruit. They're not works. <laughs> There's fruit that's showing up in your life because you're in intimate knowledge with Jesus. You spend time sinking down into him, and we become more and more like him the more we let him just overwhelm us with who he is. It goes on, against such there is no law. In other words, the law can't produce this. The law, keeping rules, will never produce love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Only Christ in us produces that. And it goes on, and they that are Christ's have crucified, past tense, the flesh. The flesh no longer is where we live. We live in a kingdom of light and love. We live in a different realm. The flesh is the outward realm. We live in the inward realm where Christ is. And it says, if we live in the Spirit, which is not a good translation, <laughs> since we live in the Spirit, let us also live, walk, talk, whatever it is we do. Let's do it because of the Spirit within us. Be in agreement with his view and opinion of who we are, of who others are, of what he says is true about our situations. We have overcome the world through our faith in Christ Jesus. He has already defeated all the power of the enemy. We have to have a grace-based, finished work mentality. We have to have by faith all that he has already paid for. So, 
let's have a grace-based, finished work mentality, which says, because of God's absolutely free loving kindness, he has already furnished me with everything I need for life and godliness. I have been given everything I need in order to live in a way that shows forth God's nature, God's glory, and God's virtue. One of the pictures that God gave me was, you know, fruit grows on a tree. And I always thought of the fruit of the Spirit as something we grow into. Like my patience fruit is getting bigger. <laughs> I had this idea that fruit is something I grow in. And the Lord said, no. It doesn't mean fruit that's growing on a tree. It actually means fruit that has been plucked from the tree. In other words, I already have it in its fullness. I can eat it. I can absorb it like the medicinal plant. I can become more and more outwardly because I already have the fullness inwardly. We just grow in our ability to access it. We practice our patience because we already have it. We practice saying thank you, being grateful, being full of joy, being at peace. If I'm not in peace, I can go to Jesus and say, you are my peace. I'm refusing what the flesh is saying. I am refusing to be upset and anxious. I am refusing. I choose to operate in what I already have. I choose peace. Thank you that I have peace. I thank you that I am peaceful. I thank you, Father God, that I cast all my care. I thank you, Father God, that you have captured my heart. I thank you, Father, for a grace-based, finished work reality in me. So through our relationship knowledge, our revelation knowledge, our epi knowledge, Jesus calls us to his glory the truth of his view and good opinion of us and others and even our situations. He calls us to his virtue, which is his strength and efficacious power. I love that word, efficacious. It's a big word. I really like it. It means perfectly adequate to handle whatever the job is. It is the exact amount of power you need. It's exactly effective. It's not too much. It's not too little. It's just perfect, perfect power. And he calls us to take ownership by acknowledgement, ownership of all that he is through our epic knowledge, will our full discernment and accurate knowledge of his grace and finished work. The word tells us that we are already, right now, because of Jesus, the righteousness of God in Christ. We have right now in our spirit all the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that we need in order that our God-likeness our glory and virtue of Jesus can show up on the outside of us. We can choose to agree with grace and live by faith. We can choose to let our fleshly feelings and emotion bring corruption and destruction into our lives. Let's choose to sink down into Jesus. Let him wash over us and clothe us with his finished work of salvation. Let us choose to live in the epi-knowledge, the revelation knowledge, the relationship knowledge of God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Because as we do, Second Peter verse 2 says that grace and peace will be multiplied unto us. Amen? Father God, I thank you for your word and for your truth that you don't just sit in heaven and watch from a great distance. 
you so loved us that you didn't want to live without us. And you came as a man so that you would know exactly what it's like to be human. You know every part of what it is to be us except sin. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for laying down your life so that we could be free from the corruption that is in this world. We are free from sin. You have made us free. We're not just set free. We're made free. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that by your Holy Spirit, you come in and dwell us and you bring all of your fullness. I am full of love. I am full of joy. I am full of peace. I am full of all the attributes that you are. I have been made godly through Christ Jesus. I am like my Father. You are my Father and I am your child. You have created me in your very own likeness in true righteousness and holiness. You have made us like you and you have given us everything we need in order for who you are to show up on the outside of our life. Father, I thank you that you don't count the times we fall and you don't count the times we make mistakes and you don't count the times we trip. You only count the blood of Jesus Christ. You only count what's been done on our behalf. And Father God, we thank you that we can have epi knowledge of you. We can know you intimately. We can see you. We can hear you. We can sink down into you and absorb who you are into our soul and into our body and into our life as we rest in your finished work. Father God, I bless your children. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I bless you this day. I call you blessed and highly favored. I call you prospered. I call you full. I call you happy because of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you, Jesus, for your spirit. We thank you for your life and for your life in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.